With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. There's a time and a place for black and white. Like when you're learning to play piano. Or when you want a big two-toned cookie. Or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white. So go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing. From banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 18 Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. John Austin and a nickel pack to Tampa Bay. Austin took early. Down the sideline play. And knocked out of bounds. Here's it out. Oh, he drops it in the bucket. Kenny Britt is gone. Touchdown. Give it to Gurley. Gurley extending to the goal line. Touchdown. Todd Gurley. That puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to an all-new Turf Show Times Radio. This is your host, Josh Webb, pleased to be joined this week, not by Mycin, who is with us for unspecified family matters today. We're all sending our thoughts, Mycin, in in his uh, girlfriend's way. Uh, but stepping up and taking the uh, the reins for him, so to speak, is Mr. Blaine Grissack, who is normally my co-host on Ram It Down Your Throat. So, Blaine, thank you for uh, for joining us today. No problem, and um, all, all thoughts there with Myson. Uh, um, hope everything's that good good on his end. Um, and I'm excited to join the show today. As am I, man, uh, because today we are being joined by the man, the myth, the legend. Some may even call him super villain. As Miss SB Nation's NFL editor, you know him on Twitter as at mocking the draft. His real name is at mocking the draft, and his nickname is Dan Kadar. Dan, how you doing, man? And thanks for joining us today. I'm wonderful. Thanks very much for having me. <laughs> so I'm gonna start out right away. Um, I'm going to when this first said that I have truthfully no idea how I ended up covering the Rams. I, I was an SC guy <clears throat> and and now cover comics a little bit more than I do football. But as I look at the grades that the Rams have received on their draft, I grew up a Saints guy, so I've got no vested interest in this. I can't help but feel like they're kind of being crapped on. Like, I don't 
I look at where some people grade them, and and you know Mel Kiper, who gave the 2014 class an A minus. I want you know, uh, but but he's he's not the only one. And and look, I'm not saying that this class is going to set the world on fire, but there weren't any reaches. Every guy was kind of in the went where he was expected to go. Maybe one round early-ish, if depending on who you asked. Uh, I felt that they addressed as many needs as they could with the limited picks that they had after the Fisher uh, and Snead trade for Goff. Um, and I thought that the players they got were were what the mandate was laid down by McVeigh, fast and explosive. Am I missing something? Why are, why are the reviews so bad? Well... Fast and explosive, I, I don't think, is, is necessarily a, a way I would describe most of the class or some of the class. I mean, Cooper Cup, he's good, but he's not fast or explosive. And, you know, overall, I, I kind of thought there was some missed opportunity there with what they did. And I, I think they, they needed to take an offensive lineman at some point. And they they pretty much punted it on the position until the UDF phase so that that was strange to me getting three rivers was a little strange to me i know gerald everett's position is classified as a tight end but i don't see him lining up in line to block very much so basically you got three receivers and i know it's a draft that you build around jared goff but i think you you could have gone a different direction you know that that first pick I, i know they love gerald everett but Obi Melifanu was sitting right there. I think he would have been an excellent pick to really help the secondary. Zay Jones was there as well. He would have been a great pick too. So I, I think they did okay. I, I'm not agreeing that they dragged guys where they should be, but um, um, I, I think Gerald Everett can be productive depending on how many targets he gets with, with Higby there. But I don't know. I, I just look at it, and I just had a ho-hum feeling, quite frankly, about the whole thing. I don't disagree with you for a second. I, I was in the Lamp camp. I, I felt like Lamp, because if you look at what the Rams, and and I think that the logic behind that was, well, we got Sullivan and we got Whitworth, Mm-hmm. Um, which in the mind of Rams fans sounds really good, but when you flush that out, you know, Sullivan, uh, not really a guy known for his health, could go down fairly quickly. And then what um, Whitworth's seen a rise in his play along with the hiring of an offensive line coach in Cincinnati. So how will he do away from that? That's well, a point brought up by our Joe Goodberry. So I agree with you it, it, about a missed opportunity on the offensive line. Uh, but but I guess the question I would ask is, which which way would you have gone right out of the gate with number 37? Because I think I understood what they were trying to do and acquire more picks. And, and that spelled the end for Forrest Lamp. But if, you, if you'd if you still made that move, which way would you have gone? Would you have gone Elf Line? What would have been your pick there? If I'm making the move and dropping down to 44, I would have gone either Melifon or Elf Line or Zay Jones. I think Zay Jones was there. Um, let me check that real quick. I think I might have that up. Um, 
But I, I don't know. I Zay Jones went thirty-seven, so he you missed on him. But I, I think Elf yeah, line, actually we traded we traded out of the yeah, pick. We were th- right, <laughs> the Raiders right. were thirty-seven. Excuse me, sorry about that. Go ahead. I I just think Elf Line is an immediate starter and a ten-year player, which I know is an overwrought draft cliche, but I think he would be great, and I would have. Really like that pick, and I like I said, I really would have liked the Obi Malafonu pick. He went 58 overall to the Raiders, so he went you know 10 or 14 picks later, and I, I just see him as a, a great player who can do everything that John Johnson can do, who you picked a lot later, but a, a lot, a lot better. So that that's where I would have gone with the pick. I, I kind of want to touch on that same same point there. Um, do you think Snead sort of he misjudged the draft and misjudged his intel there, where players were going to end up? Because it seemed like they were reaching on some players, and on, especially on the early picks, and they missed out on guys like Godwin and Smith Schuster, Lamp, etc. Um, with their first three picks, they could have gotten Lamp, Godwin, and, and, and Kittle going through rounds two through four, um, and that really would have been a bad haul. So, do you think there was some misjudgment on where these players were going to end up? Um, I think so. I, I don't know necessarily if there's a misjudgment on where they would end up, just which ones are better, quite honestly. I mean, Gerald Everett, I, I everyone expected him to go in the top 75 picks. So I, I don't think that was a massive reach whatsoever. Um, Cup, same kind of thing where I know he doesn't excite a lot of people because he he's not the fastest receiver or he's not six foot five and he's not going to high point the ball and jump out of the gym. But I thought that was his range. So it's just a matter of either or. And I would have I would have zigged when less needs zagged. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then you mentioned Cooper Cup. Where do you see him? You know, playing. Some have said he's more of a slot guy, but he's 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 tall. He's I think six foot two. Where do you think he fits in with the Rams receivers? I think you can put him wherever you want. Quite frankly, I know it's a cop out answer, but he was a guy going into the draft where, you know, I my opinion was I don't care where you line him up. I don't care how fast he is. I don't care where he goes. He's going to make a lot of plays, and he's going to catch a lot of balls. I think if you want to work him in the slot, he's going to be fine working the short underneath game over the middle. I don't know if he has the speed to play outside consistently, but I think you can do it on occasion. Um, but, you know, I think slot to start, occasionally on the outside, just just get the ball in his hands or in the, the ball in his direction, and he'll get it. I mean, he's really good, really, really good. I mean... I know there there's some concern because of where he went to school, but the production he had against Pac-12 teams, he had like a season's worth of production against, I think, seven Pac-12 games. So he, he's he's great. I, I'm a big fan of his. Yeah, I'm with you in that camp. Um, I, I, I do some coverage of the Pac-12 for Athlon, and, and of course you see those – Pacific Northwest matchups, um, Eastern Washington tends to be a favorite, and those games against the Pac-12 usually ended up being pretty fun, and a large part of that was because of Cooper Cup. It was just insane what that guy could do. So, you know, normally when we're talking about some of these smaller school guys, the sample size that you get against, and I'm going to use an antiquated term here, you know, BCS opponents, is usually like one or two games. That simply wasn't the case with Cup. Like you said, he had a fairly large sample size for a guy 
you know, playing on a team where you can only play only play so many out of conference games. And as Eastern Washington, you're trying to win the FCS playoff every year. I mean, they're they're a team that does compete. So he he's he's played at a high level, even if it wasn't at the highest of levels. Um, but at the end of the day, I think this all comes back to Pat Elfline. Um, not only is he just, uh, uh, I think, a fantastic center, but but the guy is sort of a, a jack of all trades. You would know this better than I, but I think he's played pretty much everywhere along that Ohio State line, right? He played three years of guard and the last year at center. Or so two years tackle. of guard, one. He, he's not a tackle. I, right. I don't think he ever played tackle at Ohio State. Um, but the, the way, here's the thing about Ohio state. And I, I know this because I'm unfortunately living in the middle of Ohio state country, but he, at Ohio state, the position you want to get is center. Every year they put a senior at center because it's the most important position on their line. And he moved over from guard to center and he was good. He was, he was really, really good. And, uh, he, he's just a guy that he works in a power scheme. You can work him in his own scheme. He can handle defensive tackles over his nose one-on-one. He's, to me, he's one of the safest players in the draft, or he was. But, um, you know, well, what can you do at this point, I guess? It, it, it's just strange. They, they punted on the position completely. Yeah, I'm with you on that. <laughs> I think they're putting their eggs in 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 the basket of guys who are on the wrong side of 30. But if McVeigh is only trying to get one or two years out of them, and maybe hope that the Rams can can fill those positions in in next year's draft. But I just don't understand it because this was the perfect year to do it. There was so much spillover into the second round because of the premium on quarterbacks secondary. And uh, cornerbacks, I mean, <clears throat> once Trubisky went off the board at number two, which pretty much threw a monkey wrench into everybody's mock draft, uh, that 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 set off a chain reaction that left so much talent on the offensive line available there in the second round. I don't know if you're going to see that again for some time. Like, that, that was a really fortuitous chance for the Rams to improve their offensive line and like you said they punted on it I I, I don't get it um, I guess I guess I will say this though looking at what McVeigh now has acquired how do you see the pieces fitting in particularly with there being ambiguity as to who's going to be the play caller, either Lafleur, McVeigh, or an amalgam thereof. Well, I, I think they they added the right kind of pieces. You know, everybody knew that McVeigh wanted a Jordan Reed type of player, and that's obviously what he got in Gerald Everett. So, you know, from that from that standpoint, he can implement part of his his playbook with tight ends and how he likes to use them. So if you build out of that, and frankly, if you look at the Rams offense beyond Gurley and Tavon Austin, you know, that that's going to be the focal point. And so you build out of that, you put cup in the slot. I think as long as the line holds up, which is obviously, as you guys know, with the Rams, it's a huge if, and it is every year, unfortunately, if the line holds up. And if Jared Goff can take the kind of, 
you know, leap that you would hope the number one overall pick from a year ago could take, they should be better on offense. Like, again, it's going to come down to the line, but I think the pieces are kind of in place for how McVay wants to run an offense. All right. Um, I mean, touching on the offensive line again, it was a weaker class. And I don't think we saw one go until outside the top 15, which is extremely rare just because, you, you know, you always see the tackles go so high. But mm-hmm. what's the reason, you know, the, the Rams a couple of years ago, they drafted a guy, guys like Rob Havenstein, um, Jamon Brown. Um, was there a reason for the Rams to have more belief in those guys than the guys that were on the board? That's the thing. I, I don't think there is, to be quite honest with you. That's why it's so strange that they didn't take an offensive lineman. I mean, I was putting together a thing earlier where, okay, what if, what if you take out all the players they picked? How do you slot them in? And I know it's a bad year for tackles, but I think Adam Biznawadi, who I think was a seventh or sixth round pick, would have been a great pick and he could challenge for the right tackle job. And that, that's kind of how I view things there. So I... Unless Sean McVay and his coaching staff are some sort of offensive line whisperers, I think that's going to be tough. I don't think there's any reason to believe these guys are just going to magically take the leap on the on the line. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you, you can't address everything, I guess, in, in in one draft. And the Rams has so many holes uh, right. as it is. And, and obviously, the, the goal was to help Jared Goff out as much as possible. And maybe they didn't help him on the offensive line per se, but you know what, when it came to, I guess, um, skill positions like, like Everett, um, cop and, and Reynolds, do you think those, those, those three guys mainly, how, how do you think they, do you think they help Goss production going into year two? Do, they, do you think they help him gain confidence in that offense and going forward? Boy, you would hope so. And the, the first thing you think of with Everett and cup in particular in regard to Jared Goff is that, they should be his security blanket type of players where Everett is a guy who hopefully can open up the defense a little bit more because he's a good athlete with some size. And Cup is a guy who he's just so dependable. And if he can become their version of Doug Baldwin or the Seahawks, I think that's you would you would really be great with that. I think without Doug Baldwin, Russell Wilson wouldn't be as good as he is. And Doug Baldwin's not a player who gets a lot of headlines or credit for what he does, but he's really great. And, you know, Cup can be that kind of guy where, you know, you just need someone dependable. That That's what the Rams need. Tavon Austin's really fun, but I, I don't think he's overly dependable on a consistent basis. Robert Woods was never a consistent player at Buffalo. Um, the, the rest of the receiving core... There's flash there, but there's just not consistency. I think Cup can do that, and I think Everett can open up space for him if needed. Yeah, I think you uh, you raise a couple of very very good points there. Um, and and you had written about Cup that he was a guy that was going to have to take advantage of his route running. There there mm-hmm. wasn't a lot of speed there, but. You go back and you watch the tape on this guy, and it does give you belief that he can have that. I hate these comparisons. I absolutely hate it. But he can, he can, he can have that that sort of presence in the middle of the field that terrorizes defenses. Whether it's catching slants, whether it's you know rub routes, just various different things that these guys can do. What is it that you think? Cup does well that will enable him to get separation at the next level because that's going to be the key if you don't have as you say jump through the gym 
uh, vertical so, to where you can high point the ball, or if you don't have John Ross 422 speed, you have to make up for that in other areas. So what does Cooper Cup do now that will enable him to get separation at the next level? Well, you said it yourself. He's a route runner. I mean, he's not. He just doesn't run routes well. He runs routes great. I mean, to me, football is so much about the first step you take, and it's it's especially evident for middle linebackers where you're watching the first step. If they if they make the wrong move on their first step, they're basically killed on the play because things happen so so fast. Cup is a guy who gets off the line really smoothly because he doesn't take a false step with his first move. He knows how to get on the jam well enough. And then the, the little ways he runs his routes, the way he uses his hips, the way he you know uses his footwork where he's not, you know, overstepping his route. He's not rounding off the you know the edge on his turn. The the whole thing, he runs super tight routes. And that's the kind of stuff where, you know, you can create a foot of space. And that's all a quarterback, hopefully a good quarterback, which hopefully Jared Goff will be. That's all the space you need to, to be open in the NFL. So he does the little tiny things that often don't get appreciated when you watch football. And I, I just think that he's going to be successful because he's NFL ready as a route runner. Now, I, you know, <laughs> there's going to be some fans who are like, why, Josh, why? But you wrote very recently a mock of the 2018 draft because mm-hmm. as soon as you're done with the 2017 draft, that's the exact thing to do. Now, uh, as a shock to nobody, uh, two Pac-12 quarterbacks lead the race in this, so Josh Rosen and Sam Dardle. And to be honest, I, I, and I'm sure you would say this too, that's in no way, shape, or form set in stone. The performance of those two over the year could cause it to flip, stay the same, or have, uh, and I'm not talking about their, their pro life, but certainly their college life, have a Ryan Leaf, Peyton Manning debate, especially if Josh Rosen's able to stay healthy. What that guy can do with a football, or what he did, his ball placement as a freshman uh, was it, it, it just uh, – you talk about punting. It amazed me that USC opted for Ricky Town over him, but that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> um, but in that, though, they got Sam Darnold, uh, <laughs> who became their crown jewel. Now, you expect next year to be uh, an, an offensive heavy year, and the Rams don't have a, uh, a first-round pick. But – and I've brought this up to Rams fans because it is a very, very, very real possibility. Aaron Donald is coming toward the end of his rookie deal sooner than later. And much like in European soccer, where players realize that they have a year left down on their deal, it's actually to their advantage. NFL players are really starting to take advantage of this fact. And it's it's possible that Aaron Donald could really put the Rams in a position to say, hey, look, I love it. I appreciate it. I've had fun. Um, But, you know, with Goff, if he has another year, this is worst case scenario. If Goff has another year like last year, Donald might look at the situation and say, I'd like to get my second payday on a team that's going to compete in the playoffs year in and year out. Um, and, And if that happens, the Rams would 
absolutely get at least a first round pick for Aaron Donald, which would place them back into the quarterback race. Um, do you think there is a possibility that if thing if Goff has a year like he did last year, that the Rams do look at some way somehow trying to get at least one of the quarterbacks that are going to be available next year because it's going to be so loaded. I think that would only happen if Lesnid is fired. And if the Rams finish in the top five in the draft order, I think, you know, you'd have to look long and hard at that. But I think as long as Les is there, he's going to, He's going to let Jared Goff work his way into things. I mean, I, I think it would be strange to give up on a guy after only the, their second year. That's what the Browns do, and that, that's why they're the Browns. So, you know, it, unless you want to become that team that just cycles through quarterbacks year after year after year, and you, you get a stigma about your franchise as being that type of team, I, I don't think they would give up on Jared Goff that early. And as far as Aaron Donald goes, I, I don't, I don't see him leaving there. I think at, at the least they would franchise him. So um, I, I'm, I'm not sure about that one, but you know, Goff, I, I think they're going to let him get some breathing room and really develop. And you know, maybe after the 2018 season, you say, okay, is this the guy or not? And if he's not, that's when you move on, but not next year. And uh, I mean, I, I guess t- touching on Goff, you know, we, we want him to succeed. And I guess the key to his, is, to his success is this draft class here because they did draft so many skill, posi- skill position guys. And I mean, we've talked about Cup and, you know, for, for good reason. He has the hands, he runs the routes, he's dependable. But the guy that I kind of want to key in on is, is Josh Reynolds. I, I just, I, I love his upside. And um, w- what do you see with him? I think he's solid. I, he strikes me as a, a decent number four wide out. You know, he's the he's a taller high point. Should vulture some uh, touchdowns in the red zone type of player. I just kind of thought with the pick of Cup, I, I kind of thought that was a little bit unnecessary, just based on what else the Rams needed in this draft. Um, I, I know they like him. I know a lot of draft Twitter likes Josh Reynolds, but. You know, if you if you already took a wide receiver and you took a glorified wide receiver with your first pick in Gerald Everett, how many targets is this guy going to get? 30, 40? You know, I, I'd be surprised if he got 40 targets next season. That's a that's a to me that, it wasn't it wasn't a completely wasted pick. Maybe he'll you know he'll be a great player, but it just seemed like there there was an opportunity there to go in a different direction instead of doubling up on the position. For sure, for sure. I um, mean, then you know, a- after the draft, everybody comes out with the draft grades and everything. But it's not until year three or so that we really know what how a draft class does. Looking back at this class that the Rams just drafted in three years, what will stick out? What, what will stick out about them? If ever becomes Jordan Reed 2.0, if John Johnson becomes a legitimate starter, and if Cup becomes what we kind of talked about coming out of the slot and becoming a, you know, 75 to 90 catch type of player. And all of those things combined, not John Johnson, obviously, and all those things combined make Jared Goff a player that is worth taking first overall in 2016. Flipping 
the uh, to the other side of the ball here, I want to talk about some things that put some pep in your step. And the first thing I want to talk about is price, because in your recap of 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 the Rams and and their overall draft, you said that your favorite pick was Price. You said he's undersized and he's had some injuries in the past, but he knows how to get the most most out of what he has, and he has the will to stick. Now, here's the thing: Wade Phillips sort of has the ability as a coach to extrapolate the most out of that type of player. So is this a pick that you love on its own merit or also because it's going to be coupled with a coach who will be thrilled to have this type of player at his disposal? Well, I think it's obviously the latter because it kind of combines both of them with you. Yeah. Ewan Price is just a player who, at the Combine, I, I went and talked to by myself. Like, at the Combine, it's a really weird speed dating type of thing where, you know, a player sits down, a group of reporters rushes over to talk to them, and then they move on, or the player moves on, and so on and so on. Price was there by himself, so I, I, I liked him, so I just went and chatted with him. And sometimes when you when you talk with the guys, you know the ones who just get it and the ones who just don't. He gets it, man. Like, he knows he's undersized, but he knows how to work with that. He knows he doesn't have elite speed, but he knows how to work around that. He knows he might have to play special teams. You know, he accepts kind of what he is. I think that kind of, you know, self-realization is really important. I think if he starts on special teams, he'll be fine with that. So, you know, and to pair that kind of, you know, mindset with what Wade Phillips can get out of things, I think... He's a guy who's going to stick even as a seventh-round pick. I think Wade Phillips, to me, that that's the best off-season addition the Rams made this year, quite frankly. Um, he, he hopefully can take some guys who can be a little inconsistent at times and really make them superstars. I, I think there's a chance that happens. Yeah, I'm excited to, to, to hear what you think about Wade Phillips taking over in that system. You know, it's obviously going to be somewhat of a transition for the Rams moving from a 4-3 to a 3-4. But as numerous guests and, and pieces that have been written, uh, Wade Phillips for a 3-4 is really more like a 4-3 under. And so, uh, you know, with the addition of Connor Barwin, who I thought once he hit the free agency market, I, I, I was saying Rams needed to go sign him right away. Uh, I'm not saying I influenced the pick, but it seemed like, I mean, he he played for Wade before in Houston. He knows the system. I, I mean, the Rams are in need of, a, of, of that type of player. It just, it all seemed like it would, it would fit. <clears throat> what do you think? this new look Rams defense is going to do and or be able to accomplish under Phillips, including the new picks? Well, I, I think it starts with how much he can get out of Robert Quinn. If Robert Quinn plays up to how well people think he can, every other piece of that defense is going to fall into place. Everyone knows Aaron Donald's going to play great. That's a given. Connor Barwin's obviously a good system fit, like you mentioned. Mark Barron's going to be dependable. Alec Ogletree, eh, we'll see. But it's all dependent on what he can do to Robert Quinn. And in the past, we've seen 
everywhere Wade Phillips goes, he get he has some incredible pass rusher. So if he can get that out of Robert Quinn on a game to game basis, you're going to see all these other pieces really make more sense than they might right now. They might make more sense than they do right now. Excuse me. Where okay, you, you throw John Johnson in there and you move him from safety to corner to safety to corner on a play to play basis. He can he can kind of freelance a little bit because he'll have some time back there because Robert Quinn is going to be able to create pressure. So I think it's all dependent on that. I, I think, you know, Wade Phillips is is the best coordinator in the NFL by a wide margin. I, I don't think he's a great head coach, and I think he would admit that himself. But what he's going to be able to do with his defense, as long as he gets Robert Quinn playing as, as well as we think he can, I think the, the rest of the pieces are just going to come into form. I just want to ask a quick follow-up to that because I'm glad you mentioned John Johnson. The one problem area for the Rams since priority A uh, pretty much walked out the window to go play in Pro Bowls for the Giants and the Eagles. Uh, Finding a fit for True or a pairing for True has been something that's evaded the Rams thus far. And one of the things that they're 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 trying out this year is is a switch in moving Lamarcus Joiner uh, uh, back to safety. But I got to imagine there'll be times, like you said, with with John Johnson, where he may very well end up playing uh, in a cornerback role. How improved can the secondary be? Because. Nobody's ever really had I, – I think with the Rams front seven, it's always been a question of if they can stay healthy, then opposing quarterbacks are going to run for their lives. It, But ever since Jenkins and McLeod walked out this door, I mean, you could toss a paper bag over the middle of the field and it would go for 50. <laughs> it, it certainly would. So I'll, I'll be interested to see what LaMarcus Joyner can do at safety. Because when when he was picked, it was oh boy, it, it's Tyran Matthew 2.0. So I, I just think if if the front seven can create even more pressure, which I think they will under Wade Phillips, some of these other guys are going to play better than they have. You know, EJ Gaines, I think he's kind of been dis- a disappointment there, but he has some talent. I think he really does have some talent. So. Uh, and Tremaine Johnson obviously is a good player as long as uh, you know he's interested in playing for the Rams. So I, I just think there's still a couple pieces away in the secondary, but the, the what they should be able to do with getting after the passer should make those guys look a little better this season. Um, touching on the secondary a little bit before the draft, there was just a lot of trade talk going on, you know, with, with Tremaine Johnson and, and if they would trade him or not. Do you think um, not taking a, a solid cornerback in the early rounds in, in round two or three? Do you think that was a, a, a bad decision on their part to not on their part not to plan for the future in the sense that you kind of expect him to possibly leave in the off in, in this upcoming off season? Yeah, I I think so. I mean, it, I know you can't address every single need every draft, but coming into this draft, I thought wide receiver and cornerback an offensive line where the, the key areas for the Rams to target. And they did one of those. So, you know, looking over the draft really quickly here, I mean, I, I mentioned Obi 
Fanu with that first pick. I think he's a player some teams are going to, we're looking at as a cornerback. I think he, he would have just made so much sense. But, you know, if you look further back, you know, that where you pick Josh Reynolds, for instance, at 117, you know, why not, um, who's the kid that the Browns took? Howard Wilson. He's a talented redshirt sophomore out of Houston who has a penchant yeah. for intercepting the ball. I, I think he would have been smart. I think DeMonte Casey from San Diego State would have been a great fit. And Desmond King, I mean, for what we were just talking about with John Johnson and LaMarcus Joyner as these secondary players who can kind of play safety or cornerback, you have that with him, and he's super productive. I, I know he's not a great athlete. I know he's not the biggest, but at the end of the day, he can intercept the ball or break up a pass. So, that, you know, that, that second wide receiver pick seemed kind of like a luxury to me when you could have found an offensive lineman or a secondary piece. Um, when you look at, at, at the draft for the Rams, obviously they're coming off a 4-12 and season, and obviously the goal is to bring in more talent and, and make the roster more talented. Um, but another, I think, key for them to this offseason in general was to change the culture in the locker room. Um, what are these guys that they draft to bring on an intangible level rather than a tangible level? When you, when you look at their, their character and their leadership, what will they bring to the roster? I think some of the guys will, will bring quite a bit in in that regard. I like the doubling up on the Eastern Washington players. And I think that can toss in a little bit of chemistry. I think John Johnson was a very, very well-liked player at Boston College. I think that can throw a little bit on, on the chemistry side of things. You know, Pitt teammates love Ewan Price. So, you know, it's, it's little bits here and there. I mean, you're not getting like a superstar. This guy is the next Mike Singletary type of player that you might with like the 49ers did with Ruben Foster, for instance. But I, I think uh, a few of these guys can add some of that chemistry that, that they do need. You know what's uh, – I don't know how often this question gets asked to you. So if if – um, I apologize if, if you're not totally prepared for it, but I had a list of about like five or six guys that I thought the Rams should have picked up the phone or been the first per- person on the phone uh, with as as the draft was winding down and 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 you know looking at a guy like Darius Rogers or a guy like Sidney Jones that they could have added, signed, benched, and, and just let that... I know Achilles is tough to come back from, but you're talking about undrafted free agents. And um, this is the part where I was... I don't want to say mad, but I, I, I looked at the, where some quality, quality undrafted free agents went, and I'm like, wow... Another opportunity to address key positions, and the Rams opted not even to sign those guys. Like, they they really made a dent in the UDFA class. Well, that, that's not necessarily the Rams not trying to sign them. When, once, the, once the draft's over, those guys can go anywhere. Uh, Sidney Jones, though, he was drafted. Uh, he was drafted pretty high. He was drafted in the second round by the, by the Eagles. So, um, as far as the other guys go... You know, I, I was talking about this with someone earlier this week where, you know, some, a lot of years where you look at the UDFA players, you can you can 
pick off several here and there and be like, ooh, I like that one. Ooh, I think this guy can can really latch on. Or, ooh, I, I think this is a great fit. Going through it team after team after team after team, this year I, I couldn't really find those players in the UDFA list. I think my favorite one was Kermit Whitfield, who I think went with, to Chicago. So um, as far as the UDFA goes, UDFA, excuse me, um, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm, I'm I sure apologize. I meant Ricky Seals Jones. Oh, <laughs> look. You know, just 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 some guy. I know. Uh, you know, we're talking about playmakers and things like that. Just guys that you can bring in, put them through the paces, and and you may end up being right about a lot of these guys. That that, that the talent's just not there. It just it just felt that when you saw the Niners, I think that's that's where it ultimately the buck stops. When you look at how well John Lynch did in his first draft with a first-time GM and a first-time head coach. The Niners were the class of, of, of the NFC West in this draft, and, and it's, 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 it's a tough pill to swallow when you look and see what they were able to do versus what the Rams ultimately ended up doing with, with some of the, the whiffs in there. Sure, but I mean, you, at the flip side of it, look at San Francisco's quarterback depth chart, and I, I think that should that should make you feel pretty good about anything else because that that might be the worst quarterback depth chart I've ever seen in my life. Um, so, in that regard, I mean, look, the Forty ers I thought they aced the first round of the draft easily, but after that, you know, I, I was looking at it with someone at work today, and we're looking at it, we're like, who who of these guys looks like? Is he even going to be a starter after the first day? So I, I think the, the top two picks for the 49ers kind of overshadow the rest of a somewhat ho-hum draft for them. And um, they don't have a quarterback. I mean, they, they absolutely do not have a quarterback. And if, if you don't have a quarterback at all, and they don't, you're not, you're not really going to matter. So uh, that, that's how I think of the 49ers. And I probably just got... Um, canceled by for my appearance on the Niners Nation podcast, if there is such a thing. Oh, I, I doubt it. Jen is a, a wonderful, wonderful gal. And uh, uh, not not to mention that uh, I, I actually don't even think she does it. Scott, Scott will chime in and tell me who does it because he probably listens to it. Um, but uh, the Niners Nation folks are, are the cream of the crop. They're outstanding. Um and and you're probably right. It it things tend to look awfully rosy uh, when when you're looking at it through the lens of the the, the good picks versus the ho hum picks. Um, but but you mentioned a key phrase in there. You know, having a quarterback. Do the Rams have a quarterback? Because. There's a lot of belief that Jared Goff can get this right and that maybe moving to a West Coast, um, it, it may help him. And we had Jenna Thomas on, and she talked about Matt LaFleur and his ability to sort of get in people's ear and and help them along. And, and, and if LaFleur can be any sort of developmental motivator for Goff and get the, the, the ship rolling in the right direction... I'm not saying that he's going to become Matt Ryan, 
But if you look at where Matt Ryan was versus where Matt Ryan is after Matt LaFleur, there's a substantive change. Um, and, and one would hope that he can work similar magic with Goff. Is, is, is this possible? You would hope so. I mean, it, you took the guy first overall, so that, that should be the expectation that he at least becomes Matt Ryan. Uh, obviously, the going in Matt Ryan's favor is Julio Jones, who can just jump up and, and pull down anything. But Freak. I, I think that's a great point. You know, I, I think adding LaFleur was a, a really smart move because he, he can work with quarterbacks really well. So, you know, I think Goff can get there. I, I thought I thought he was the best quarterback in the draft last year, and I I, I like the pick quite frankly. So you you would hope so, and I, I'm sure the Rams think they that he'll be the guy too. So we'll see. It, hopefully, the offensive line gives him a chance. Is all. That's no. really what it is, right? Like, sorry, Blaine. Like, I mean, we could spend hours and hours and hours talking hypotheticals on this podcast, but point blank guns to all of our head. What it really comes down to for the 2017 Rams NFL season is the offensive line, correct? It does. And so bringing Andrew Whitworth was a, a smart move. I mean, in, in Cincinnati, he... Groy would have been... Oh, sure, yeah. sure. But Whitworth, Whitworth is a good player. He he was really overshadowed playing in Cincinnati because who's ever paying that much attention to the Bengals? But he's really good. I mean, I know he might only have a couple of years left, but just dependable as heck. So, uh, you know, if if he can if he can be a, the key to fixing that offensive line at left tackle and hope everything else just falls into place. You know, you can really find out whether or not Jared Goff is the guy pretty soon. Now, uh, we, 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 we talk about Goff, but I, I think the focus of the Rams' offense is obviously Todd Gurley. Um, mm-hmm. he, he, he can't be too pleased about them the completely ignoring the offensive line, but, you know, they, they did bring in, we mentioned Whitworth. Um, and then you bring in a guy, a guy like, like Cup, who's, who's, who I think can be a serious receiving target. Will that open things up for Gurley? This season, will he bounce back? I think so. I, I think last year was kind of a fluky year for him. He he's really talented, and I, I don't think he's quite as good of a player as Ezekiel Elliott as a prospect goes. But he ain't far behind. So you, you brought in the fullback late in the draft, so that should help a little bit. I, I don't know. I I just think he's really talented. If he can stay healthy, he can do a lot, especially. Especially with McVeigh, where you know you you look at what the Redskins did last year, where they can you name a single Redskins running back, but they they still had an effective offense. So uh, I, I think we're going to see more of the rookie year Todd Gurley than the second year Todd Gurley this season. I sure hope so, because uh, I mean Goff needs it to happen, the Rams offense needs it to happen. Um, uh, th- this was really, I think. Lesney's first time in the draft room as as the guy. Um, I think with, with Fisher, it was it was it was Fisher had the final say. Um, after this year, do you think Snead, if, if if you had to say say if if Snead is GM or if he's not, where would you sort of lean? I think he'll be around unless they're just absolutely terrible. I, I think he'll be around at least another year, 
And then, you know, after that, we'll see. Because after that, you're going to find out what you have in Goff for sure. So if Jared, he, he's tied to Jared Goff. If Jared Goff doesn't come along like we hope he does, he's gone. He has to be gone. Um, and I, I, I think that's a great point you make, though, about, you know, this kind of being his, his opportunity with Fisher gone to, to show what he can do. So we'll see. Yeah, that's, <clears throat> that's one of the interesting parts about the Rams is that nobody really ever seen Les Snead uh, prior to this. Now Les Snead is, is ubiquitous, it seems like. Um, but, but honestly, for, for a long time there, we, we were getting questions from Rams saying, like, where the hell is Les Snead? And then, you know, <laughs> have an honest answer for him because... I don't generally go around keeping tracks of keeping track of NFL GMs, but a question about Todd Gurley and that offense. A couple last things here before we let you go. You know, uh, one of the things that Gurley does so well is 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 run out of that power eye formation. And we've asked this of other guests before, but prior to the draft, it was more of a <clears throat> nebulous concept than anything they could answer definitively because nobody knew how Les was going to was going to approach this draft. Now we have our answers, but uh, where Jared Goff excels is with the offense running four and five wide sets, which obviously does not favor Hurley because he's not the type of back who I guess you would say I'm not going to say can because I think that's a, a disservice to him, but he's not the type of guy who typically has run out of the shotgun, um, especially not at Georgia. So y- you sort of have this juxtaposition of, of two different preferences. That's going to be on Matt LaFleur to, to figure out. But if you were taking a stab at it and you were saying, okay, this is how I would align these pieces for this to best work. And we're, we're just going to assume that the offensive line holds up for the sake of this, because it would be too painful if we did it, assuming otherwise. But how how would you set this offense up, just on a series by series basis? Would would you would you mix and match between, you know, jumbo packages, power sets, and and, and spreading them out? Would you keep it spread out? I mean, what 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 do you think? will ultimately end up happening. I think you put both Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett on the field at the same time, and you do both. You know, you hopefully you can get enough blocking out of Everett. Some 12 personnel? Yeah, you, you get enough blocking out of Everett and Higby where, okay, maybe sometimes they'll, they'll stay on the line, or sometimes, you know, Everett, I think he could – work kind of like an H back a little bit where you can put him in the backfield maybe. So you can kind of, you know, feign passing plays with him back there, but then run some of these power concepts that, that Gurley excels at. So I I think having, while I've kind of bemoaned the pick of Everett, Mm -hmm. I, I think he gives some variety to the offense where you can do both of these things where, Sometimes when he and Higby are on the field, it's going to be like they have four wide receivers. But having both of them on the field, it, it could be like they have a power system in place. So, 
Yeah, I, I think that's what you're getting with this offense now. You have some variety. So you're not just saying, hey, we've got four wide receivers and Todd Gurley on the field right now. So you know we're, you know we're going to throw it. Or, hey, we have we have a power system in right now, so you know we're going to run it. So you're you're giving a little bit more deception to your offense in that regard. Sure. And, and you know what's funny to me is I had a lot of people tell me last year that they really liked Merrick Hemingway and, and that, that they thought the Rams could do something with him. And now I'm not hearing that at all. So I guess I'm to assume uh, that he didn't quite work out the way people thought he would. I, I don't know. I, yeah. I, can't, I can't tell you a lot about Tamaric Hem- Hemingway, to be quite honest with you. The fact that I know he's a large human being. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what we were hoping for. All right, uh, there, uh, Blame, what you got? Anything anything left for Dan here? Um, I mean, I could go on all day, but I, I, th- I think we've, 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 co- we've covered quite a bit here. Well, I mean, now's the time to ask him the tricky stuff. Now's the t- now's the time to say like top three crappiest movies that everyone thinks are good. Oh man, oh man, that's a good question. Do people like any DC Comics movies? Those are always terrible. Mm, good call. Um, but then again, so are some of Fox Marvel movies, man. Yeah. Um, what is that? The Goonies? That's a terrible movie that everybody loves. Um, I'm, I don't know how old you guys are, so maybe that's aging yeah. myself there a little bit. No, my, it's one of my wife's favorites. Uh, we're, we're, we're on board there. It's not one of my favorite. I just kind of think it's a ho-hum treasure hunt, to be honest. I've seen it. Yeah. That movie sucks. Um, most any movie that is made for a, a tween audience in the last decade has been terrible. Like the hunger games. Those are terrible movies. Um, but boy, they sure are popular. Um, anything with Adam Sandler in it in the last 10 years is trash. I think you stopped at anything with Adam Sandler, but then you, that does discount some high quality stuff like the water boy, uh, early on in his career. And, yeah, so I don't know. I, I find a hard time going to the movies anymore because uh, there's there's not a lot of movies that are great these days, I guess. I agree with you. The only thing that gets me out of the seat is Marvel movies these days. I'm a Marvel buff. <clears throat> My entire left arm is an homage to Marvel with uh, Thanos as as the centerpiece. Mm. Um yeah, it's 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 a work of art. It's got Galactus and Vision and Doctor Strange, Miss Marvel, Winter Soldier. It's got it's got body parts and everything on it. We we, we put some we put some serious hours into this bad boy. Uh, but uh, that's about the only thing that got me out of my seat. And I will say, I went and saw Logan, and I honestly would have that as currently number one on my list because I hate that movie so much. <laughs> I. Look, I thought that some of the action in that movie was okay, but other than that, I thought the story was was not great, and no. some of the the logic in it was not that great. Um, it was disjointed, convoluted, made no sense, and it's like he he brought these children to nowhere and then died so that they continue on in the middle of nowhere, being hunted by people that are clearly way more powerful and have way more resources than they do. But hey, that chick brought a comic book. 
which apparently wasn't real and was real. So I, I, I don't know. She was the best part of that movie. Well, yeah, and actually getting to see Wolverine put his claws through people instead of, you know, right. some of the other past X-Men movies where it's like a cartoon sword fight where you don't see any actual action with, with the weapon. I thought that was nice for once. I completely agree. I think Deadpool finally allowed them to do that when Wolverine, if you read the comic books, he's he's some pretty gritty. But yeah, that thing that thing had its perks. Shortly behind that, I would have Batman versus Superman, which I just thought was a colossal mess. Like it it Gal Gadot, as usual, was was like I imagine. I think to answer your question, that's going to be the first good DC movie. I truthfully do. <clears throat> I, I do too, and I, I was humming the theme song for it at work earlier, so that that should tell you what I think of that movie. But the you know Superman versus Batman, where the climax is basically, wait, your mother's name is Martha, my mom's name is Martha too. Oh. Let's be friends. Oh, oh my God, dude! Was so I... so bad. You do, okay, so this, I swear to God, I am not making this up. I'm going to play this for my roommate. I had yet to watch the movie. My roommate comes in and he goes, all right, dude, so I'm just going to tell you why this movie is a piece of shit. And we're like, all right, <laughs> go, go on, go on. And he's like, so first of all, none of this makes any sense whatsoever and it's way too long. He's like, but the point where I was like, okay, this film is where he goes, oh, wait, why are you doing this? Your name's, your mom's name is Martha. My mom's name's Martha, too. Let's go be friends. And he's like, who the hell does that? And I'm like, there can't be another person on earth, Trevor, who, who that's their fine line. Because Trevor always, his fine line with Batman forever or i think no batman and robin is that they put nipples on the uniform that's when he was like i'm out like that that's what did it for him but the whole martha thing is why he was like i'm out on batman versus superman so i swear to god when i tell him this story he's gonna be laughing i i'm sure he can't wait to get home and hear this yeah it was a weird storytelling device as far as you know, <laughs> advancing the movie goes but hey whatever it, part of it looked neat i guess <laughs> I guess that's what Blaine. What about you? Have an opinion on this? Um, I, mean, I, I agree on Batman versus Superman. That was a, a terrible movie that, for some reason, some people like. Uh, I think one one that I'm gonna throw through on there that might not have be an unpopular take is I, I wasn't a huge fan of Star Wars Episode Seven. I thought you know people did just with. Um, the, the whole re re reminiscing there. I think that's why people liked it. But for me, I, I just thought it was a bad remake of, of Episode Four. <laughs> Man, I can that's see. harsh. That's harsh. I, I will say I did like Rogue One more than Episode 7. Same, same here. Um, Rogue One pretty much left everybody, I think, wanting to do the same thing, which is like, I wish I had a copy of that movie so I could go home, watch it, and then put on Episode 4 and just guide you right through straight to the end. All right, so the last question here are the top three crappiest bands that every crappiest bands artists solo acts duos that everybody loves oh boy um man this is tough you can really offend people by disliking the music they like so 
You oh. said who watches the Bengals earlier, so I'm pretty sure Cincinnati <laughs> turned out a long time ago, so just pick bands from Cincinnati. Well, th- that's the catch. I love a band from Cincinnati, the only band I know from Cincinnati. So, um, right, I'll say Rush is pretty bad. Um, Chicago is is terrible, to stick with the classic rock theme. And huh. I, boy, this is, people are really going to hate this. I wasn't a big Prince fan. Mm-hmm. I know you, you can't say either. you can't say that now because he's no. dead. But um, I was always, and this is going to make it sound even worse. I always liked Michael Jackson more than Prince. So I, I guess Prince. I I wasn't a huge Prince fan, but I always and and I I'm not saying you didn't. So feel free to you know smack me down here. I always liked Bruno Mars. I always knew that those guys could do... They were always playing their own instruments. And I always respected that. I don't don't necessarily have to dig a guy's music to dig the fact that he can do that, if that makes sense. Like, I don't care for being the Malmsteen, but I appreciate the hell out of what he can do with a guitar. So... Uh, but uh, sticking, I'll, I'll match you on the classic rock theme, and I'll think I'll one up you on the everybody's gonna hate this. All right, so my top three in no particular order are: I'll just start right with classic rock, Black Sabbath. I mean, I get it, but I, I, I don't know. No, they, they don't, they don't do it for me. They just don't do it for me. I, I give me Iron Maiden. Um. <clears throat> The Doors and The Beatles. The Beatles? Yeah, I, you know, man, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I think I've narrowed it down to this. And I'm willing to admit that maybe if later in life, if I could force myself to sit down and do it, I might find a different appreciation. But I had a girlfriend when I was 17, and, and she drove everywhere because I didn't have a car. And we did a lot of driving. She would only play two things, The Doors and The Beatles. So you see why both of them are on this list. She would never change the CD. Even if we had just heard the entire thing, it was time to hear it again for the third time in a row. So it sort of soured me on those two. I'll admit that the Beatles obviously had an enormous influence of rock and roll, especially here in the States and very much everywhere. Um, so I, I again, I acknowledge what they did to music, but if if somebody puts on the Beatles, like I'm, I'm gonna step outside for a cigarette that I don't smoke. You know, <laughs> just I'm just gonna step out here and talk to people. So at least I can one up you on the everybody's gonna hate me department. Thank you. You're welcome. That's what I'm here to do. <laughs> Blaine, do you want to rescue me, or are you gonna let me fly I, I, my flag? I, I, I have Prince and and uh, I have Prince and the Beatles both on vinyl, so I, I mean I, I kind of d- disagree with with those. But um, my age is gonna show here um, with, with with the two that I dislike. I'm I'm not a huge Bruno Mars fan. I I, I don't I don't know why. I just it's something with his voice. I think I just I just I, I'm not a huge fan. And then Adele, I'm not a huge fan of Adele either. Well, that's two. What about your third? I, I don't I don't have a third. 
my third my third is my disappointment that you guys don't like Prince or the Beatles. <laughs> hey, I I love the Beatles personally, and Prince, I I think his hits are fine, um, but other he has a huge catalog, and there's a lot of crap in there. There is a real lot of crap in there, and Bruno Mars is a a discount store Prince, so. Um, that, that should tell you what I think about Bruno Mars, but I, I don't know. Little Roy Corvette's pretty all right, and Purple Rain's pretty all right, but after that, I kind of there's a lot of crap to get through with Prince. See, I, I feel like I'm a huge Sublime fan, and their catalog is is like people may not know this, but Sublime have well over 40 albums um, that are recognized, but but like. Dan was just saying there's so much crap on there. There's, I mean, there's shows or there's songs on albums where Brad's so blown on heroin that he's inventing lyrics to songs. You're like, dude, you're, you're conflating four songs here. You can't do that, Brad. But they let the show continue and recorded it anyway and felt that it should make a record. So uh, even one of my own bands, there's just a lot of craps in I, I think I, I think that just gives my age away. I'm a sublime guy, but uh, but Dan, what I uh, what I want to do at this point is I want to give you the opportunity to, to do a couple of things. Uh, the first of which I, I already said this up at the, uh, at the top of the hour, but let people know where they can find you on social media. Well, Secondly, uh, you can draw attention to any article you have previously written or something you have upcoming. And lastly, if you have a cause or anything that you are trying to push or help out with right now, take it, the floor is yours. <laughs> That's very kind of you. Uh, I, I don't have a cause <laughs> other than um, my own personal ones. So I'll keep that to myself. As far as uh, social media goes, you said find me on Twitter at Mocking the Draft. I'm going to try and get a Facebook going finally because the smartest person I know or one of them has always said Twitter for show, Facebook for dough. So we'll be starting a, a Facebook finally. I mean, I have one. I just never use it. And as far as articles go, um, I don't know what I'm going to do next, to be quite honest with you. So I have to figure that out. So in the meantime... Just head over to SB Nation's NFL hub. And, you know, I, I've been with SB Nation for a real long time at this point. I think almost nine years, I want to say. And our writing staff right now is is unbelievable. You know, you mentioned Gianna Thomas. She's great. Harry Lyles is great. Kristen Giandier is great. Uh, Luis Bien, every time he writes, it's a, it's a slam dunk home run. So... Just go over there and dig around and, and have an open mind and, and check that stuff out because they all do really, really great work. Uh, yeah, I, I can't thank you enough, and you're absolutely right. The people over there do some seriously, seriously good reporting, and I love long-form days. I do. But I... I Tell me that on the new system that the long forms are still going to look as cool because I haven't read a long form on the new layout yet. But one of the reasons I loved the long form so much on SB Nation is because the layout was second to none. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you what it's going to look like, to be honest with you. That's beyond my pay grade with SB Nation. But I will say, you know, if Spencer Hall's story that they published when they relaunched the, the homepage is any indication, I think there's going to be some good stuff. Dan doesn't have level seven clearance with shield we've discovered tonight. That's 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 the key takeaway from tonight's conversation. So Dan Kader, ladies and gentlemen, mocking the draft, SB Nation's editor, NFL editor. You can find him on Twitter. Thank you so much, Dan, and we look forward to and hope that we can have you back on again in the future. Great. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh man, Dan Kader mocking the draft, ladies and gentlemen. He crushed it. Uh, Blaine, what do you think, dude? Yeah, I mean, really good stuff. He, he had insight, you know, you know, just analysis all over the roster. You know, he, I, I think, you know, he really delved into, you know, I, I like what he had to say about Cooper Cup. Um, you know, his, his envisions for where he sees him on the Rams roster. Those are just some things that stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciated his candor, too. I mean, I thought he was really open about some players, maybe that we were a little higher on. Um, I thought I, I loved that he's like, well, hold on, let's look at this from another angle. Um, so let's talk about a couple things here before we close. All right, Matt LaFleur is brought in, and this guy really does have a positive effect on young quarterbacks. Jared Goff has to go up this year. And they've surrounded him with playmakers. We've got to hope that one of them turn into something. I think Josh Reynolds can be a guy. I know Cooper Cup's going to be on the field on Sundays. I just think he'll work his way in. Um, how do you For see sure. it happening? Um, how would you line him up? I, I mean, I I see as far as the wide receivers go, I see Robert Woods on one side, Josh Reynolds on another side, slot, and then I see Tavon Austin just because he doesn't have any connection with McVay. Just, I see him as being just a, a gadget guy, and I mean that's disappointing considering they gave him an extension and, and paid him just last year. But I mean, you you look in Washington, maybe. Crowder's the closest thing to Tavon Austin that he may have had, or that McVay would have had. But I just, the, 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 that's how I, how I would line him up. And I mean, that's maybe that's maybe going a little high on Josh Reynolds, but um, I, I really like his upside. Okay, fair enough. I'm going to ask you this: What do you think about the 12 personnel that 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 Dan mentioned using the two tight ends? And, and getting uh, Higby and um, uh, Everett out there at the same time. I mean, it, it makes sense because that's where they're strongest on the roster. I mean, they they used a second-round pick on, on Everett just this year, and then last year they used a fourth-rounder on Higby, who had the talent and just had the off-the-field baggage. And so, I mean, that's where that's where they're strong on the roster. So it makes sense for McVeigh to utilize that. And considering... That's a position that he utilized in Washington. It's hard to imagine that he won't be successful using it here as well. Yeah, I'm just curious who the two are going to be. Like, I know there's going to be 12 personnel. I'm just curious who the two are going to be. Is it going to be Everett and and Higby? Is is, uh, uh, Hemingway going to work his way back in there? Like, these are all questions I want answers to. Um, 
I mean, it'll it'll certainly be something to keep an the eye Rams on. Rams were also still signing undrafted free agents. Like they're still going. Uh, you know, they just signed a six foot seven, three hundred and seventeen pound tackle, left tackle from San Diego State. So, you know, I mean, uh, did that earlier today, but I, I, I mean, <sighs> um, you look at at at. At what the Rams have, there are options, there are players, there are guys, there are bodies to come in and compete, man. And, and, and frankly, I think that one of the benefits of having a new staff, one of the things I think that's going to work to Goff's favor, and it you kind of alluded to it, though you didn't necessarily bring it up, um, is that... McVeigh isn't bound to anybody. He's not wed to anybody. He's not married to any one player. And if a player outperforms another in camp, especially if it's a guy that McVeigh brought in or a guy that they signed or whatever the case may be, um, I, you know, some of these veteran players, they're they're roster spots may not be safe, man. You know, for, for sure. I mean, you know. I, I, I discussed we discussed, Dan kind of touched on it. I, I, I asked him, um, you know, it's, it's about changing the, part of the, this offseason is about changing the culture. And part of changing the culture is getting rid of, you know, the veterans that have been here throughout Fisher's ten, tenure. And I mean, the Rams are going to win until, until they change that culture. And, and that's that comes with cutting veterans that, you know, fans have attachments to. Yeah. If they're, if they're not producing, there's that there's a reason right there to, to, to cut them. That, 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 that's the reason. And I and I do think that the Rams have franchise tag options with Aaron Donald for another couple years. I mean, they could do exactly what they're doing with Tremaine Johnson, though I think the players union is probably going to try and get this loophole fixed so you can only franchise tag a player for one year um, instead of consecutive. But... Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, I, 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 Aaron Donald <clears throat> is part of the fabric of Los Angeles uh, um, in terms of what he means to the team. Uh, he did <clears throat> most of, of his magic in St. Louis, but, you know, this guy... By the time's all said and done, you know, Los Angeles is going to remember Aaron Donald. Uh, that's for damn sure. And there are a few definitely, places. Definitely. I, I think that they have to do whatever it takes to, to re-sign him. And, I mean, it's going to break the bank. Well, that's what I'm saying. Working he's, to their he's, advantages he's, there are a few places. There are a few places at, at, like, L.A. where you can be adored, you know? Like, there's only so many places where you can be adored like you can be adored in L.A. Like, you got New York, Chicago, and that's that. Like, Miami, maybe, to a certain extent. Like, I mean, you look at Jose Fernandez, and Jose Fernandez was the Marlins' best pitcher. I'm not talking about any of the -the off-the-field stuff. Jose Fernandez was the Marlins' best pitcher, and, and like, they, they loved him all right, but look at the Dodgers' love for Clayton Kershaw. They worship him. Mm-hmm, for sure. Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, get, you look like guys like Clayton Kershaw. You look at um, the Lakers, you know, 
they adored Kobe for so many years. Guys, people in Los Angeles like Blake. But LA, you you can be a star and and you can have the city really look upon you and, like you said, adore you. Yeah, people like Blake Griffin. They went to war for Kobe. Yeah. You know, I mean, when when you're in Los Angeles, you can you can be a certain kind of star. <clears throat> I think, how, how important is it, though? Do you think for them to win for him to get that adoration? Because you know, if they're a losing team, it's going to be hard to adore somebody on a losing team. Whereas you know, the Chargers they have that franchise quarterback. Oh, I don't know. I don't know, man. I think I think ask ask the. <laughs> Ask the Detroit Lions when they were losing if they hated Barry Sanders, man. Like, no, man, they still loved him. Like, the love was there. I understand what you're saying. Like, the, the butts won't be in the seats, but the fans will defend that player to the end of the line. And and, and, and look, I, I think McVay is a step in the right direction for the Rams because the thing that was plaguing this team was a virtually anemic offense. It's not like NFL teams kicked their ass. I mean, there were a couple games here and there where the Rams simply got beat, but this was a large period of adjustment for them, you know? So, I mean, if if you got Jared Goff throwing passes right to the defensive back, the scores are going to go up in otherwise respectable games. But if you look at what the defense gave up, in large part, it was mostly respectable. Um, They weren't the worst. They weren't the best. Under Wade Phillips, that's going to improve. We know that. If Robert Quinn can have a healthy year, he probably is going to be one of the most dynamic players in the NFL between he and Connor Barwin, dude. I mean, they could just be sacking the quarterback left and right. The Rams may not win games, but I'll be damned if there isn't a sack party in the backfield. Um, for, for sure. I mean, the the, the, the defense has potential to be, to be so dynamic with, with Barwin. I mean, I, I lived in Philly the last four years and just uh, – so, so, I mean, I had that, I guess, exposure to him. And, I mean, he's dynamic. If, if Quinn can stay healthy, he's dynamic. And then they have – you know, some death, some death back there. There is reason to be excited about about this football team, especially when you bring in a guy like Sean McVay, who's young and energetic, and you know, somebody who can connect with the fan base a little bit. Yeah, a guy that's going to push the ball, a guy that's going to push the ball up the field at a at a rapid pace, a guy that's going to utilize the weapons that Jared Goff has, simplify things for him, get the ball out of his hands quicker get the ball into the hands of the guys who were going to make the plays. I think that's the key here in the second season is because Goff has no confidence, and that's understandable. And he'll act like he has confidence. He'll talk big. But the reality for anybody is you're not going to have too big of balls coming off a season like he had, man. You're going to have some doubt in the back of your head, but you've got to shove that aside. And you've got to say, okay, look, new year, new look, new me. And, and, and the truth is, that's basically this Rams team, because gone are the vestiges of Jeff Fisher. Uh, the Greg Williams defense, I mean, there's there's only so, so many coaches that you could hire that are an upgrade over Greg Williams defensively, and the Rams hired him. Um, <laughs> you, you know, like Greg Williams, definitely, definitely. Fan, I mean, fantastic we're, defensive we're, coordinator. We're, we're, when they brought in Wade Phillips, it just it just I, I it just shows you like I guess with with McFay how much coaches around the league respect him, and it's just like wow, I, I, like how did he end up in LA? You know. Well, I think it had to do with the fact 
and we didn't talk about it with Dan, but Sean McVay came into this knowing what he didn't know, and he should be applauded for that. He surrounded himself with guys that are going to be like, nah, nah, young muck, you need to chill. I got the defense. I've been I've been doing the defense since before you were, you know, sperm. I I've got this. And 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 the truth is McVay needs those things freed up for him to be the best version of himself. In order for a head coach to be the best version of himself, he's got to be free to be a head coach. He, you know, can't be in there, be the one calling the plays. Like, it just doesn't work out in the NFL. Pass along those duties or share those duties or have some input or go over the game plans. With him, but with him calling the plays, McVay will call the plays. Does that concern you at all with how he manages yes. the other facets of yes. the team? Yeah. McVay calling the plays and being a head coach as a first time head coach, I think, is a recipe for disaster. And ultimately, I think McVay will find out that it is too much work to do your first time. You hired a bright mind like LaFleur. Trust him. If you're McVay, are you going to go in there and override Wade Phillips? Definitely not, no. Okay. So why would you do that then to Matt LaFleur? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it is... It is. It is concerning uh, to, to, to that to that aspect. Yes. Um, how Why long, would you do it to it, one coach? If it does, if it, if it does become a disaster, do you think it's something that he hands off to, me, to the floor halfway through the season? Sure, if, yeah, if it's actually, something he can't manage. About, we talked about this last week with Tom with Jenner. Look, I think that McVeigh will try it out. I think that the Rams will get their asses handed to him in a couple of games, and he'll be like, "Damn." This is an SOB. Hey, Matt, come in here. You know, why don't you try calling plays this week, and I'll just look over the game plan at the end, of, you know, before before we install it. All right? And I think that's exactly how that conversation will go. Because Sean McVay thus far has shown me that he's smart enough to know what he doesn't know. So let us hope that he realizes that it is a bad damn idea unless you are Bill Belichick or you are somebody that has been in the league for years to call your own offensive slash defensive plays and be a head coach. I mean, it, 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 it is a lot. And it, I mean, for a first time head coach, it, it's going to be a lot. So I, I that, that is for me going to be something to keep an eye on as the season goes on. Is it something that he eventually hands off to the floor? Or is it something where like his ego gets in the way and he can't give it up? If he can't give it up, he will, he will remain the head coach until the Rams, the Rams open their new stadium. Uh, oh, for, 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 for sure. For sure. I mean, you look at how long Kroenke gave Fisher, he gave him five years. It, it's It's hard not to imagine you know, McVeigh getting at least three or four. Yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 I think the Rams owe it to McVeigh to at least allow him to have a draft where he has a number one overall pick, which won't be until his final year. But you know what? 
in the meantime, you have all of this time to figure out what you need in order to fill out your draft. And even though you gave up more, uh, uh, even though you gave up quite a bit to Jared Goff, you'll have less of a hit this coming year. So early on in the programming, I was talking to Cater and saying that the Rams didn't have a 2018 pick. I thought they gave up a first rounder for Goff, uh, uh, but I apologize. But they'll have their for Arsenal in 2018. So... I think you at least have to uh, allow McVeigh to have a couple of 2018 picks. Uh, or, uh, excuse me, a couple of... Uh, I think you have to allow McVeigh to have a couple of num- uh, number one uh, picks, first uh, first round picks, if you will. And for the Rams, they're likely going to be top ten picks uh, because the Rams are a couple years away from competing. So they'll be... There will be value for McVeigh to draft, and depending on how well the Rams do or don't do, there could be... If the Rams have a season like they did with Goff this upcoming year, I wouldn't blame them if they entertain Josh Rosen or Sam Darnold. I honestly would. I know for that... Sure, because- as as we as we talked earlier earlier with Tavon Austin, you know McFate doesn't have a connection with Jared Goff. Does he want to bring in his own guy? And uh, yeah. I mean, you have to kind of think he does. And I know you don't want to be the Cleveland Browns, but you know what, man? You also don't want to be the team that's stuck with a quarterback that didn't get it. And and like Jenna Thomas said, air raid quarterbacks just don't work out in the NFL. There's a huge history of them not working out in the NFL. And some of the comments that were being said about Davis Webb were, were really astonishing because of how little he actually knew having played in a system like he did uh, in college, two systems. So um, it is what it is, but the Rams have their full arsenal in 2018. They're going to be able to to get after this. I think it's going to be exciting. Um, I'm excited to see what McVeigh does. Uh, you know, I mean... The worst damn thing that happens is that the Rams end up with a top five pick in a pretty loaded draft. <laughs> like, if that's the yeah. worst thing that happens, oh well. And you know what? It wouldn't surprise me for the Rams to trade down and acquire even more. Build up the team that way. Get it ready for 2019. Use use your true first pick. If you're if you're truly not going to give up on golf, if you're going to stay with him for a third year, and and you're just invested in this, and you say, you know what, we'll wait till 2019 and we'll draft a quarterback. Then we think they'll be even better. Then who knows? We have no idea what the 2019 class will be. But let's say they go that route. And, uh, and, 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 and in truth, the, the, the 2019 class is better. The Rams will have a host of picks that they can then parlay uh, back into the first round next year if they so choose and draft a quarterback then after three years. But the Rams will have options in the upcoming years. They won't be stuck to saying we have to stick with Jared Goff they can do their best to help him succeed. They can give him three years. That is fine. Or they, you know, it's, it's, if you're McVay, it's not, it, this draft had to suck. Yeah. It had to suck watching everybody else pick in the first round and having nothing. 
I mean, not, not only from a face perspective, but from a fan's perspective as well, going into next year's draft and the year after, it, there has to be some, like, you're excited for this season just because he's there and he brings a certain energy to the team. But going forward, there's also just that excitement of, you know, who is he going to bring in to, you know, to, 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 to shape the culture and the image of his team? Fair enough. And these are questions that we will answer next time here on Turf Show Radio. I am Josh Webb. You can find me at Fight on Twist, and I'm usually making a mistake per podcast, so I appreciate the corrections. I do try to fix them. Sometimes it's just absent-minded, folks. I don't mean any harm by it, but I'm I'm so my portfolio is so eclectic for who I write for that I I conflate things, I mix things up, I get things wrong, and I apologize. But I don't do it because I'm not trying to, to, to produce a quality product. It's just I'm absent-minded. I've left my glasses in the refrigerator uh, door before, so I'm just one of those guys. Uh, but you can follow me on Twitter at Fight on Twist. You can follow Blaine on Twitter at BXGrissack19, no, 83. BX 90, 93. 93. 93. I keep wanting to age you with me. BXGrissack93, or you can follow our uh, producer on Twitter at SportsSpeaks. As always, please follow the mothership at Turf Show Times, which is SB Nation's home for the Los Angeles Rams. And as we close out tonight, we want to give a special thanks to Dan Kadar, a.k.a. Mocking the Draft, for spending time with us tonight and not just bombing me on the million mistakes that I made. So thank you, Dan. You were wonderful. We look forward to hearing you guys next time. From you guys next time, we will be back. Peace. It's so hot outside. Time to go bowling. Stay cool at Bolero. With air-conditioned lanes, ice-cold beer, and a striking selection of signature cocktails. Roll in, chill out, and have fun. Visit Bolero.com for hours and weekly specials. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.